All right, brother, we're live. Um, I really appreciate you doing this. Uh, you're, uh, you're doing something that I have a lot of respect for, and I'd love to, uh, well, I'm looking forward to having this conversation today and uh, getting the, the kind of uh, the story behind what's going on and uh, talking a bit more generally about why it is you're doing what you're doing. So uh, welcome, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on your show, man. Uh, I, whatever I got to do to get this message out and to start helping to shift this narrative, I'm, I'm on board for 100%. Awesome. Um, well, look, man, I know some people, especially people in Canada, are going to be familiar with your story. Uh, there's a lot of listeners to this uh, show all around the world that probably aren't familiar with your story, but are very familiar with the frustration uh, and the other kind of attendant uh, impulses or emotions surrounding the global lockdowns that have transpired over the last year. So maybe we could get, uh, why don't you bring everyone up to speed about what's going on with you in particular and what this story is all about? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the, the mainstream media coverage that most people have seen is just me getting uh, taken away from my restaurant in handcuffs, right? Uh, basically, how this all played out is I have a, a coach of mine who happened to be just posting and sharing truth about what was happening with COVID since the start of uh, January 2020. So I, I feel as if I've had a uh, inside line to the truth since before COVID even landed in Canada, right? I remember having conversations back in February with my uh, with my wife's family, and they're talking, oh, this virus, it's coming, it's super deadly, people are just dropping like flies, and right from the beginning, I, I kind of had my senses perk, like something funny's going on here, this doesn't sound right, and that was really helpful for me as it all unfolded, so we, we got locked down in, in March here in Canada, and I, I complied for that, that first wave of the lockdowns, right? Shut down the restaurant. We launched a delivery model. It was going pretty good. Uh, and then as soon as that initial surge of traffic uh, dropped off with our new uh, program that we were launching, like this was everybody had lots of money. We just started this two weeks of lockdown. So everybody's like, oh, this is kind of cool. It's exciting. We'll get some delivery from this place. So my business was good for a bit. And then it just tanked, like, we're down 50%. We can't have people eating in our restaurants. I put down a deposit, 40,000 bucks to open my third location, which was going to be my flagship store. Huge 50 car parking lot, uh, 7,000 square foot building. It was going to be just fucking epic, to be honest. It's, it was like the culmination of eight years of work in this industry. And, and it's like two days later, they locked us down. So my sales tank, I'm down now. 50%. I go from having 60 employees down to like having 30. And that number has now gone down to like, it's like eight. Um, but yeah, I'll let you know a little more about how that played out. So I decided in the summertime, like if they lock us down for the second wave of the flu, I'm just going to open up my restaurant and protest. So we got to that point in November. So it was at the end of November, I opened my restaurant, my new one in Etobicoke against the provincial orders. And the first day, like a protest group showed up. So it was quite a scene. There was hundreds of people outside. We sold out of food very quickly. We didn't have enough to feed everybody. Second day, we got charged uh, under the Reopening Ontario Act, which is our local emergency order. Uh, and my whole intention was to go and fight this in the courts, right? Uh, but I told all these people I wouldn't back down. So the third day of protest, uh, the most amount of people showed up and also the most amount of police. Uh, at one point, there was 75 police surrounding my whole building 
and I actually have on our new merch. I've got this this photo nice, of nice. six mounted mounted units outside the door of my restaurant and all the way around the whole building just cops everywhere in like full blackout gear it was it was insane i couldn't believe it like what country are we living in um they had changed the locks on my building the night before our uh public health official eileen Devilla, she runs the health unit for our city she invoked the trespass to property act on my building which was like completely unlawful she can't do that only I can do it as the occupier of the building, or if I'm not paying rent, my landlord could. So the police followed these instructions. They sent over the course of that day, there was 253 cops like blocking traffic at both ends of the street. They wouldn't let anybody on the road. So people were like parking on side streets and walking into the protest. Uh, they changed the locks on my doors. So I went in through a back unit and then I had some help. We cut a hole in the drywall into my unit. We, kicked it in and put on a bit of a show. Uh, then had to boot the door of my building open because they had screwed that shut too. Uh, some cops came in, they arrested me, they hauled me off, held me for 30 hours uh, at the local division and let me out at, at the end of the next day. And I'm now charged criminally with mischief and obstructing a police officer. And it's, it's wild because this is for trespassing on my own property that I'm the occupier of. So. The, the abuse of authority that is just absolutely insane what's happening in Toronto and these charges still haven't been dropped so they're gonna have to go to trial it's it's been quite an experience man and and so before I step back into the umbrella of the significance of this whole thing can you bring us up to speed like what I know you're there's a trial or there's legal action being taken what specifically is action are you taking against whether it be the the police or the government or or what's go, what's going on in that domain yeah for sure so i'll give you a little bit of backstory because it's important to know where we've entered our constitutional challenge so i said that this public health official invoked the trespass of property act and claimed to be the occupier of my building uh that was to give them the authority to arrest me for going on site that was unlawful what they should have done and they did do eventually but it took a couple days is to get a provincial judge to place a restraining order using section nine of this reopening Ontario act that gives them the authority to remove me from the property if I'm operating illegally. So a few days after I was let out of jail, they went through this proper channel. They got the provincial order from a judge to, uh, to close my building. Now that's a, it's good and bad. It stops me from engaging in civil disobedience again and keeping my restaurant open. Cause trust me, if I could, I would, uh, but the positive is it gives me an in into the court system. So somebody started a GoFundMe and it raised $335,000 and I'm committed to using that all for my legal expenses. So I've hired a legal team. We got some great people, three PhDs, public health officials as experts. We're all going to testify on this thing. So they're going to testify to that. There's no pandemic and that the whole thing's a big scam. This, uh, this challenge is being entered in response to this interim uh, court order that uh, has been filed against me by the province. So there's been a number of other statements of claim and challenges filed in Ontario, but they're all being pushed aside and like, you know, kicked down the road into the future. Whereas they can't do that with mine because I already have an in because it's in response to a provincial order against me. So we filed this constitutional challenge uh, like I said, a bunch of PhDs on it. They're all going to start attacking all the, like, once it gets into trial, they're going to attack all the evidence that's holding together this pandemic narrative. 
Well, uh, you know, that that's obviously big stuff, right? So there's so many angles I want to take here, but the one, I mean, let's just start with, that's a very interesting, I mean, that's, I assume that's going to be a trial. I don't know to what degree people will be able to observe that, but I assume it's going to be, have global relevance because, you know, I wish I could say I'm, I was, I'm shocked and I, I'm, ex I'm definitely disappointed, but it's amazing just the degree of acquiescence that has transpired around the world over the last 12 months in the face of the narrative that's been propagated. And look, I'm not in a position to say what's true or what's not true, what's accurate, what's inaccurate, but I am in a position to say that seems, well, two things. One, there's many things that seem suspicious. There's many practices, whether they be regarding recording, whether they be re regarding reporting, et cetera, that I'm highly suspicious of. And it, I'm even more suspicious because uh, qu questioning those things has been cast aside, derided. You're not allowed to ask those questions. And that always piques my, my suspicions as it should everybody. Um, and then it's the, it's the level, yeah, the level of acquiescence that everyone has, um, has engaged in to allow this to happen. And it's, you know, I feel like we're living in a, in a crazy world where everyone is okay with the tremendous asymmetry of power between people and the government, which has been exacerbated tremendously as a result of this quote unquote pandemic, um, you know, and certainly on the back of it. And so little consideration for all the extreme harm being done by that imbalance of power and by these protocols that have been imposed on people. Um, and look again, like I, I watched a lot of the news coverage of, of what happened uh, at your, your restaurant when the police showed up. And of course the media was tremendously biased against you. No, no, uh, no surprises there, there, but you know, they interviewed people, um, you know, that were basically saying like, you know, how dare he, there's lives at stake. I can't believe he would do this. And it seems like people just have no appreciation, no, no, no sense of the, the dangers of granting the government the amount of power that they are apathetically and by default granting them. And so I think there's, uh, you know, especially small business owners, especially entrepreneurs, especially in the perhaps F&B industry, but people with, that have suffered mental health issues, people whose lives have been dramatically impacted by this are gonna be watching your case closely. And I just wanna say first, like kudos to you for having the balls to do it because you know there's a there's a whole world of people out there and i think a lot of people feel like what's the point you know who am i and what powers do i have and what what means do i have to fight you know these leviathan governments in whatever country of the world you might be and you know uh heroes wear many capes i guess is, is the poetic way to put it and here you are you know a, a barbecue uh, restaurant operator who just said you know enough is enough, you know, that this is, this is too much and we should put, uh, we should push back. So there's a question in here somewhere, but I guess, why did you, why did you decide that the best avenue of attacking, of, of making your legal case for, I guess, let's say the injustice of the approach that governments have taken, i.e. the lockdowns, why did you decide that the best approach to that was discrediting the, the, pandemic or the narrative surrounding the pandemic itself. And, and just one last piece on that, rather than let's say, 
just specifically the science on which lockdowns might be predicated. Because, you know, as I think we both know, it's very tenuous at best and absent at worst. And so why, why, why attack the, the whole thing rather than, you know, the, the more specific thing that's uh, being imposed on people? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do know what you mean. And I, and I think that's a, a good question. Um, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm kind of brash. I, I, I'm not really tied to these worldly things. Like, you know, I, se- seven or eight years ago when I started this, I had 500 bucks. I took 500 bucks, turned it into a food truck. Uh, I scaled that up to, to the point where in 2019, we did like three and a half million dollars in sales, 60 employees. I would have had $8 million in sales this year. It's like, I can make stuff happen and it doesn't really it doesn't really mean anything to me, man. It's more about just going after her. And, you know, I saw, you know, my big inspiration, like you said, said that I had some balls to do this. I was watching this guy, Ian Smith in uh, New Jersey. I don't know if you followed his story, but he had a gym. They, and he opened a, he never shut. Like the guy was an absolute champion. He might've done like the first two weeks, but he opened his doors after and they changed his locks and he took the doors off the hinges and then they boarded up his doors. And then he came in with his business partner and kicked the doors down. I was like, let's go. Like, this is just so epic. Uh, I just loved how he was absolutely ruthless, just fighting for his business, fighting for his rights. Uh, And that, that really inspired me. And as I've been learning more about this, you know, people are all bickering about different things with this pandemic. It's like all these different smoke screens that they put for us. So at the bottom of the, like the staircase to truth here, we have like, there is a pandemic, right? And then it's like, well, the testing and the positive cases and do mass work and do, does social distancing work? And what's the effect that it's having on small business? And everybody's arguing like up here, right? Like, oh, you're an anti-masker, you're an anti-vaxxer and all these different talking points. But I'm looking down here at the bottom, right? Is there a pandemic? And in my mind, I'm like, okay, if there's a pandemic, there's got to be more people dying than usual, right? But there's not really. And then it's like, so there should be more people in the ICUs than usual. Well, not really. It's actually a lot less than usual because the hospitals are like totally shut down. And then really, if there's a pandemic, the virus has been isolated and we can determine it's a unique thing, right? It meets uh, Koch's postulates. It hasn't, no, it hasn't been isolated anywhere in the world. So why am I going to pick off little things up at the top? Like, oh, I'm being treated unfairly. And I hear business owners saying this all the time. Like, oh, I don't get to be open, but Costco does. Like they should close down the Costco. It's like, no, shut up. We need to expose this whole thing for what it really is. It's a huge scam. It's a big power play that's happening. And I know there's some little metrics, like in some places, more people died and they were murdered by ventilators. And you can, you can kind of pick here and here and here to try to find a way to keep this pandemic narrative together but we gotta we gotta look at the big picture of the whole thing and if i've got to be the guy to take the arrows going through with that approach it's opening up room for people to kind of come in behind me uh with a softer approach to get more public support so you know i get some fringe support because my views are kind of very far from the norm but i feel like it's opened up a lot of opportunity and i'm seeing it now where people can kind of come in behind this trail that i've opened up and they're like well, I'm not like Adam, I'm not an anti-masker, but I think the business stuff is very important. And now that voice is like very acceptable for the general public to hear and they get a little bit more support. And that's cool with me. If it's, if it's opened up some more opportunity for people to come in with, with their opinions, like then my job has been done perfectly. And I, I don't really mind like all the, I got canceled back in June because I called people, I don't even know if I can say it, but I called people the R word for some really dumb opinions that they had on COVID and I got canceled. So I took all of this like 
you know, the, the biggest restaurant tours in my city and like all over the internet, I was getting death threats and like thousands of messages a day. And I was all over the media and like with my tweets. So I've taken it all, like I've taken all the heat already. So I don't really mind uh, continuing to take it as long as we're advancing something here. Right. I mean, if, if I'm in extended lockdowns for like a year where I can't open up my hundred seat restaurants and expect to do takeout only, I'm going bankrupt anyway. Like I'm on the way out. My businesses won't make it. And frankly, I'm not too tied to them anyway. It's not the end of the world. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just going for it, man. Just, just sending it. <laughs> dude, dude. I love that attitude. And you know, it's, it's not Look, lost. I'm 32 years old. If I lose the business or whatever, I'm, I'm good, man. Like, uh, I'll find, I'll find financial success wherever I go. And if you, if you just follow what's in your heart and do what you think is right, like you just, you're, you're always led the right direction. You can't cling to these things. Dude, that's beautiful. Where, where did that, it, can you identify where that attitude came from or has that just always been your MO? Oh, huge, huge highs and lows my whole life, man. I'm not a middle road guy. So I've gone like from like making tons of money to losing it all to, to being like sleeping on a buddy's couch to moving across the country and having like real big highs and then have everything come crashing down when I run it all out. So I, I, my life has always been a roller coaster and uh, I'm going to keep pushing. I love living at the extremes, man. It's just, it drives me. It's exciting. Like, I don't want to just you know, float through on the lazy river. I want to go down the rapids and off the, off the waterfalls and everything. I love it, man. I love it. And you know, to, to go back to that kind of, that, that, that hero uh, metaphor or archetype is like, I think one of the things you said is, is really true that like somebody's got to show that it can be done, that you can speak up, that you can push back. And that will start to compel other people who had, a, you know, who are having a lot of frustration with all of this stuff to begin to speak out a little bit more because the dominant narrative, especially in the world today where, you know, there's the influence of mainstream media and the power and size and influence government of government is such that the dominant narrative is such, it, it, it's such an invisible prison that so many people find themselves in and stepping out of that even if they have the inclination to, which most, most of them don't, but even if they do is such a scary proposition, you know, because the ridicule you're going to get, the crabs in the bucket that are going to try to pull you down and keep you down is, you know, it doesn't even, I always kind of come back to this. It doesn't even have to be some grand conspiracy. The other people in the world, not the, you know, the elites, the powerful people, the government, whatever, the other people are by and large, the ones where you're going to get the most resistance from because they're the ones that are caught up, convinced in, in so much delusion a lot of the time and unwilling to have the courage to push back against the de facto wisdom or the dominant narrative. And that's why it's so great when people step up and say, hey, I'm gonna think for my fucking self and I'm gonna try to figure things out for myself. And if I can't figure them out for myself, I'm not gonna just de facto absorb somebody else's ideology or somebody else's opinion or perspective, I'm going to reserve judgment until I have enough information to construct my own opinion. And like, for some reason, that's like a revolutionary goddamn attitude these days, which is insane, right? That should be how people get, get on in life. And uh, so I love it, man, that, that what you're doing, I'm, I'm hoping is going to inspire other people to approach this thing in a similar way. Yeah. I mean, I hear business owners, like I, I, I get them reaching out to me and they're like, oh man, thank you so much. You're an inspiration. And I'm going to stand up because of you. And I'm like, that's awesome. But it has nothing to do with me. Like, it's just 
it's courage and that is it's contagious like i i I wouldn't have probably done this, especially definitely not the same way. I would have been kicking down doors if it wasn't for me watching Ian Smith do it. And I was like, man, that guy did it just like on his own accord. Like that's balls, man. And I just loved it. I just like, this is the coolest thing. I got to do something like this. And when they locked my doors and I had the opportunity to kick them open, I was like, that's so fun. <laughs> and now I'm watching other people telling me they're inspired by me. And I'm like, sick, awesome. I'm not taking the credit though. It's just courage it's contagious and when other people see it they're just drawn to it just like the truth right it's the same way it's just like human nature so everybody's stifled nobody's acting courageously one guy does it and then another guy does it and then three more and then five more and then next thing you know we can turn the whole narrative so everybody has a role to play in this i happen to be like somehow opening owning three restaurants big place perfect for a protest just set up like sweet for this I had the opportunity to do this because those are my resources. And maybe some of the listeners right now, they're just, you know, sitting at home watching this. They agree. They're like, I don't want to say anything because I don't want like my neighbor on Facebook to call me an anti-masker or something. But it's like, even just that role that you have to play is important. Everybody, whatever their situation is, if they can step out and act in courage, no matter whether you're kicking down a door of a restaurant or, uh, staging a protest with 10,000 people or just having a conversation with your family around the dinner table or uh, inviting some friends over to your house in your backyard and just being like, okay, we're safe. We can do this. We can, we can uh, engage in civil disobedience. Anything, anything helps. As long as you're stepping into your own truth and your own power, you can help shift this thing too. And you don't have to be the biggest guy and it doesn't matter if you're small. It's like anything helps. You just, it's in acting out your truth and not being in fear. I'd hypothesize, you know, maybe going a little down the rabbit hole for some people that this whole, this whole thing is keeping people in a suppressed state. So for the majority of people, they're in a suppressed state of fear because they're afraid of some virus. They think they're going to go outside or like they see me without a mask on in the grocery store and they're like, ah, like the droplets, the aerosols. So you're walking around terrified and you're easily manipulated when you're in these lowered states, right? Down low fear, anxiety, worry, all the traumas. You're like, I don't want to get COVID and die. And maybe you're not scared of that, but you're scared of the judgment from your peers or like your aunt on Facebook or whatever, who's going to uh, talk about you if, you if you speak your truth. So in both those situations, you're afraid and you need to elevate above that, get into your own truth and then project that out into the world. And it just defeats everything else. It defeats the worst slings and arrows of everybody coming at you. Because when you operate in your own truth, man, you're like in, infallible in that position. So I, I highly recommend it. <laughs> man, I, I couldn't agree more. I love that philosophy. And, and you're so right. I mean, most people are just afraid of the social ridicule. The, the social condemnation of speaking out against uh, the grain, you know, against the dominant narrative of being called names, you know, and, and I guess that speaks to the lack of conviction that they actually have in their own truth, their own ability to, uh, you know, discern to construct their own perspective predicated on truth. And as a result, they're victim to uh, the whims and the, 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 the potentially nasty words of everybody else. And that's a real shame. Um, but it's definitely something that does not exist uh, in the Bitcoin community, which is why, you know, I love this space and, you know, why I, part of the reason I wanted to talk to you today to, to uh, you know, to kind of rope you into it all, or at least, uh, you know, give everyone some exposure to you and you to them, because, you know, it's, it's a, by and large, a group of free thinking individuals that 
don't accept dominant narratives don't accept you know uh, uh you know the pressure the social pressures from other people and and decide to make up their own minds try to see the reality of the world clearly and then chart their own course predicated on their own interests and their own truth and their own principles and their own values and you know one of the things that is, is so I, I think one of the things that leads us into a situation like this is that today people seem to have dismissed the value of values and of certain absolute principles. And so this kind of goes back to the question I was asking you about why are you attacking, you know, attacking it from the validity of, let's say, the pandemic narrative versus the, uh, let's say, power and reach of the government narrative, right? So let's, let's use a simple example to, at first to kind of to illustrate this free speech, right? You're supposed to be able to say whatever you want, you know, as long as it's not fire in a crowded room or, you know, doesn't cause panic that can lead to, to, to people, you know, being physically harmed. Um, but we, we, we seem to, as a society, be continuing to encroach and dissolve a lot of the principles that were meant to keep everything together. We're, we're, we're meant to allow the individual to have its utmost expression within the confines of a collective society. And we seem to be continuing to chew away at all of that until the point now where the, you know, the government through the public health officials can just come in and say, you can't earn a living. You have to shut down your business. You're not allowed out of your fucking house in some cases, right? So, you know, that's, that's insane. But why not make the case that um, the, the government overreach is the problem here? Who cares what the cause is, whether it's a pandemic or it's a you know, terror threat or whatever? Why, why not go that route? Uh, well, I mean, I, I kind of discuss all of this. Uh, I talk about government overreach. I've been very vocal on our social media channels. But I kind of, I just hit everything, man. I'm just, I'm just living, try, trying to live out my truth in the best way that I can. <laughs> Well, I talk about the government overreach uh, constantly, but this uh, legal challenge that I'm doing, if, if I just discuss government overreach, it doesn't really open it up wide enough, I don't think, because it still leaves that, especially in Canada with the charter, you have the notwithstanding clause, right? So everything, all the whole charter is subject to... Uh, you know, reasonable measures to control bad outcomes, like, for example, a pandemic. So if I don't challenge the existence of a pandemic, they just say, okay, section one, notwithstanding clause, deadly pandemic, all your rights are removed. So I, to win this challenge and to open the door for, like, I could go in and I could win on the section nine order just so that I get that dropped, but then nothing happens, right? I want to see the big change. I want to see the biggest impact which is if we can shred this existence of a pandemic narrative, then the whole emergency order gets destroyed. And that means everybody can open back up. And that's what I want to happen, man. I've been encouraging people to open up like since my protest. It's like, they got me blocked. So I can't say that on social media because eh, my bail conditions, I can't go on there and say, you know, open up your business because I'll go, I'll literally go to jail for months if I do that. Uh, but that my, my whole point, I want to have this thing just fucking shredded so that, 
everybody else can open up. And hopefully by June or July, we'll be able to uh, accomplish that because we're going to go after the PCR tests. And if you know about this stuff, you know, the PCR test is junk. If you're watching this, you gotta, you gotta look into these cycle thresholds because it's, it, that's the, the whole baseline of this whole scam. And once we expose that, like the whole thing crumbles, it falls apart. Once you reveal the truth that all the manipulation can't exist on top of the truth once it's been exposed to everybody. Right. So right. yeah, I think it's really important. And that's how I impact the most change by going after the heart of it. Uh, e even if we lose in the courts, but some, uh, some information gets established as truth. Like for example, the PCR test, which totally will be, and it already has been in Portugal and a bunch of US states has been proved to be like, you can't base the existence of a pandemic based on how many positives you get on a PCR test with the cycle threshold above 35. It just, it, you, you can't keep the narrative up once that information is exposed. So I have to, I have to bring it into the light. That's awesome. Um, who do you already have the team together to actually make this case? Because as you said, there's, you know, there's the PCR test component. There's the how this has been recorded in public health records, CDC, et cetera, all over the world. The conflation of people dying with the, the quote unquote virus versus people that die who have the virus, the, the total mortality rate for each country versus previous years. Like the, there's all these data points that again, start to paint a different picture. Who, who are, I don't want specific names, but like, do you have a crack team in place to look at each one of these and, and they're credible and they know their shit and they're willing to be a part of this? My legal team doesn't want me to go into detail on this because it'll tip the tip the hand to the prosecutors. But right. what what they told me I, I can't say is yeah we got experts, man. We got experts. All this stuff we got eight evidentiary planks of evidence, right? Uh, we're we're talking about like about two or three of them now. I'm gonna go too much sure, more. Sure, sure, sure. The Brown prosecutor man, he looks at everything that I do, all the podcasts, the lives. Hey man, how are you? I hope you're having a great day. <laughs> Um, yeah, man, we got, we got three PhDs, public health experts. Uh, I've got $335,000 because the people rallied around this. They, some guy set up a GoFundMe and he got 335K. So uh, I'm put in this strange position where I get to be making these calls. And it's really cool. It's awesome. Got great lawyers. They're really on side for the cause. I fired three lawyers before getting to this team because I was with other guys who really didn't want to challenge the narrative. So now I'm with like unpopular lawyers from the state, which is just perfect, just where I want it to be. So yeah, man, I think it's going to go really well. Uh, anybody can go on Canly, C-A-N-L-I-I, -I, and pull up our notice of constitutional question. It's like 55 pages. It's really good. You get a good idea of the case from that. My affidavit is also live on there to kind of talk about uh, what got me to that position to engage in civil disobedience, because that's what the whole case is framed around, like our civil duty to engage in, in disobedience against tyrannical orders. Uh, and then We've got a case conference on the 9th. That one's not public. Uh, but then the experts, uh, their affidavits will be out in about a month. So then I'll be able to talk more about it. And you can find it on Canly as well, because it'll be all public. Cool. And, you know, I oh, let me mention one more thing, too. It's modeled after, like this case, the guys on my team are looking at the cases all across the world, right? The Portugal one, the one in Pennsylvania, where they threw out the emergency orders at state level, and a few other cases that have been successful around the world. They're literally modeling it after those successful cases. So it's the best, it's like the best legal challenge that we could possibly come up with. Yeah. And, the, you know, that's great. And, and for those listening that are opposed to what you're doing, you know, I, I just want to say, like, I'm, I'm not, I'm for people, 
you know, I'm for freedom. I'm for people being able to choose their own destiny and construct the best life possible for, for themselves. And it's, it's, I study this a lot. So I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to understand more how we got here, but I, I think it, people should be more cautious with how far they let things degenerate in terms of, of how much power individuals relinquish uh, to the, the forces that presumably govern them. And, you know, it, I, I don't know you personally, right? But talking to you here, here now, you seem like a fine person. You seem like a, you know, a good and, you know, you're, you're not an evil person. And I, the, the fact that you've been demonized, and I'm sure in the eyes of the people that are going to be, uh, that you're going to be arguing this case with, um, they're going to see you as, as some kind of enemy. But I would just I would just pose to them, like, what do you think is, is going on here? You know, th this, is, this is someone who's, it, even, even from their perspective, you're using the legal system that we have that's meant to determine what the role of government should be, what the power of government should be, and how people are supposed to interact with that to mediate and discover the proper balance between the two. And there are several examples throughout history in pretty much every country where the powers have been abused and they've gone too far and they've they either have to be reined in and the you know the through formal channels or they become self-destructive and there's many cases even in the 20th century where that's the case and you know the quote um evil prevails when good men fail to act is i think apt here and it comes to mind so you know like i don't consider myself an enemy of the government or like, it's all just people, right? But I think it's, it's people that are not being cautious or conscious enough of the dangers of having such an asymmetry of power and so much centralized control where certain people's perspectives or opinions or fears or emotions have broad application toward everybody else in, in that jurisdiction. You know, I, I, I'm generally, of the mind that people should be able to make decisions for themselves if they don't harm other people. And uh, so I, you know, hopefully that the, the people you're mixing it up with when you bring this case, part of them will, will feel that way. Part of them will, will agree with that because I, I don't believe people are, are purely tyrannical. I think it's just a matter of bridging the gap between the perspectives and coming to the, you know, the, the one that's most beneficial for 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 the synthesis of individuals and the collective and and to that end i mean you know i i have spent a lot of time in thailand um they've locked down the country hard for the last year and tourism has been decimated and that's a huge portion of their economy and they've had 86 deaths from covid um over that period the incidences of suicide have gone up by over 20% last year, which is, an, which is in the hundreds in terms of the addition. Um, and, and that's purely one metric of, of unintended consequences of, of these orders. And so, you know, I, I think it's important to challenge these narratives and bring to light these other considerations. And if, if, if you have to do that through, you know, somewhat well, if you have to do it through the, the way, the manner in which you're doing it, then so be it. But, uh, you know, I think, what's that? said civil disobedience. That's the word for <laughs> what I did. Yeah. And, and I think people lose sight of the value of that. You know, I think, as you said, like people just, 
you're a fly in the ointment is the, is the perception of, of you, whether it's from the mayor or the premier or, or, or other people. Um, and so I know you said already that this is kind of your MO, but what kind of feelings are you having on a daily basis now? Like your, your, your world has been kind of flipped upside down. You spent some time in, in prison after, uh, after the, the arrest. Um, you're not operating your business. Like, where's your head at? these days, you know, when you, when you wake up in the morning, is it all about just, you know, making this case and doing the best job you can with it? Yeah, I've kind of, I guess, how do I frame this? My whole life, I kind of just like do things on a whim. I, I just, I follow what's in my heart. I get like strong feelings in here, really, that like resonate really strong. I've been opening myself up to these other you know, energies and stuff like that. So I'm just, I'm, I'm going for it, man. Like the, the business right now, they've got me effectively shut down at two of my locations. So I'm challenging them there, but I have to do a lot of work to get my places back up to code and stuff like that. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm heading up this activism thing because nobody else is fucking doing it. Uh, nobody else really in, in my city, like no business owners are speaking out against it. Can't believe it. I can't believe there's guys in Toronto who own businesses who are taking on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt who still refuse to question this narrative. It's so strange to me, but they're all just trying to do the part and not have people on Facebook get mad at them. So uh, I'm doing the best that I can. I wake up in the morning, I check my socials. I, I put out a bunch of stuff on Instagram and try to keep shifting the narrative, which I see happening in a huge way. It's like every day there's 50 new people reaching out with support. So I can feel that narrative kind of shifting. And that's, that's basically where I'm focusing on, on my energy I'm, uh, I'm actually on holiday right now out in Alberta, just trying to enjoy a little bit of family time, uh, get out of the city because we're, we get like harassed by the cops and stuff like that at my house. It's been pretty, pretty nasty. So uh, I do that. I try to keep it positive, have some time with my family, go snowmobiling or s snowboarding, whatever, and just keep, keep pushing this narrative out. I got a couple of Zoom calls a week with my lawyers uh, and the legal team and I add my input there where I can but now it's like mostly off into the hands of these these guys I still have like I'm the guy making the final decision on stuff and the strategy but they line it all out for me so yeah it's pretty much where I'm at I'm really deep into it obviously like I've been <laughs> forever I'm really trying to expose the truth trying to you know help shake people wake them up a little bit uh yeah I that's think pretty much it I, I tend to like dive into things like really heavy and like really engulf myself into them. Like I, I don't, I'm not great with balance. So I like, I dive head first into my company or I dive head first into this activism or try to dive head first into truth. And I really like focus on something really, really intensely and try to make it happen and then just happily move on to the next thing once it's done. Right. Yeah. I think part of the reason why you mentioned like other restaurateurs in Toronto or elsewhere haven't chimed up. It's I think there's a there's a very strong sense of helplessness. You know, it's kind of like, what's the point? Uh, I'm going to bring all this attention on myself. I'm going to spend all this money. I'll probably be bled dry in the process, and I'm probably not going to be able to change anything. So what's the point? And, and again, back to what we were saying earlier, I think that already. If you don't though, like if, well, if you don't say it, you're dead anyway. Like, can't you see? Like this isn't going to end. It's not going to end until we end it. The government's not going to go. Okay, pandemic over. You know, take off the mask. It's it's never going to happen, man. We're just going to keep on down this road and tell people get into their own truth, you know, stand in their own power and do something like that's, that's how we, that's how we end this. That's how we move forward. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, I think a study of history is, was, is always beneficial for constructing, uh, you know, the right perspective on things. But as you say, like, I think p these people kind of hope 
that like, oh, things will snap back soon or they'll change or they'll be unwound or, or what have you. And I, I love to look at historical periods prior to really bad things happening, right? So Germany in the early 30s and in, in the 30s, like what was the sentiment? What did normal middle-class well-meaning German people think about what was going on. And I think a lot of the time, and I'm not obviously making a direct uh, comparison between what's happening in the world today or Canada and Germany. The point I'm trying to- Slimmer, don't- He's not saying that we're persecuted like Jews. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but what I'm, the, the point I'm trying to make is that how giving an inch and giving an inch and, and hoping things change for the better and hoping things change for the better and just that process incrementally, hundreds of, you know, of times throughout the course of days, weeks, months, years, decades, can wind you up in a place that you never intended to be, that you would never have acquiesced to from the get-go, but because it's kind of like death by a thousand cuts, and you wind up in this place that's, you know, that's insane, and, 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 and in a place where really bad things can happen to people that they shouldn't be happening to. And so I think what's happened with, with all of this uh, is something like that. And that people um, are just, they can't imagine that things will, will get that much worse in the future. And therefore they're just kind of hoping and waiting for things to snap back to normal and take away all the, uh, you know, all the scary uh, conceptions of what this might turn into in the future. Just the fact that the government's response has the what it's cost the quote unquote cr- country and the people in terms of how much debt the government has had to take on and how much monetization of that debt is going on i.e quote unquote money printing is already sowing the seeds for a far worse future for all the people who have been subject to that right when the government spends 20 30 40 years worth of money in one year that's going to have to be taken out of the pockets of the people one way or the other through taxation or inflation. And that kind of parameter, you know, that sets the parameters for a less prosperous future, a less prosperous future. And of course, all the attendant social consequences of, of those economic uh, realities. And so, um, you know, I, I, I just wish that people were, were more cognizant of this, but again, you know, I think you, blazing a trail and you being that one to say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to speak up about this, I think will embolden some people. But you mentioned, you know, like you kind of go full hog into things. And I suspect having spoken to you thus far, like you seem to have a, a pretty clear sense of what your philosophy is and, and, you know, use the word truth and stuff. Are there certain people or resources that, that you've consulted to, you know, cultivate this perspective that you've been sharing with me thus far not a lot of different people it's actually kind of more uh, a spiritual connection i'd say so a few years ago i had uh you know i ate way too many uh psilocybin mushrooms not way too many (laughs) just the right amount of psilocybin mushrooms and it kind of like awakened my spirit and this energy in me and since then I've just been following it. Like, right. Whenever I get these feelings in my heart and in my body, I just, I just go for it. I go, Oh fuck. Like, Oh no, fear, fear, fear. And I just like, ah, you charge right into it. Like if you just go headfirst into the fear, that's where I find all the gains in my life, like economically, 
spiritually, with the relationships, just everything increases and multiplies when I run towards that feeling, uh, like charge into the fear, whatever makes me nervous, just send it. So it, I, I would definitely say it's not too much people. Like I don't, I don't read nearly as much as I should. I've been inspired by a few people, like my coach at the beginning of all, all this, uh, kind of like a powerlifting coach actually, um, who has been sharing a lot of this stuff with me. And then I have a spiritual coach as well, who used to work for me. And she's been kind of mentoring me through this process of that spiritual awakening. Uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it, man. It's it following that, uh, following that source energy, I guess, uh, it's kind of got me here. Nice. Um, when you, when I'm sure you're busy with the, the case, um, when people reach out to you, other entrepreneurs, restaurant owners, that kind of stuff, uh, you know, what, what, what are you telling them these days? Do you give them advice? Do you, uh, are they trying, are they trying to push back in, in, particular ways um themselves like what are the nature of those interactions uh there's there's honestly not many uh i'm kind <laughs> of like a black sheep in the in the toronto restaurant community i t- toronto's like really liberal and really clicky and it I, I don't know i'm not like well connected in the restaurant industry here i think i i got into the business and i had this kind of like overnight success big media thing and I think it honestly upset a lot of people because I didn't like do my stages at the top restaurants and, you know, work under the best chefs. And I didn't like pay my dues in that way. Right. So I've never been like a, d- despite my enormous success, big, huge lineups, amazing food, interviews, front pages of newspapers, this whole thing. I never really had those connections with the, uh, the popular Toronto businesses. And I've always been kind of a black sheet. So I don't, have many of them reaching out to me but the ones who do and it's particularly the ones who have uh, had some type of defiance against the government through this i speak with them i'm actually paying there's like six different businesses that are on my legal team as co-litigants uh, who have all experienced similar things i'm just paying for them all because i mean anybody who has the courage to stand up and do something i'm supporting them giving them advice on uh you know, how this will play out for them legally if they try to do the same thing as me. So I have those conversations, you know, here and there, like maybe a couple of week. Uh, anybody who's in a similar position, like feel free, like I'm on the Instagram. I'm the only one who does it. So you can shoot me a message if you want any advice or, uh, you know, looking for to, to know how this will play out for you if you do the same thing. I'm always open to those conversations and just give, share my perspective with people. That's awesome. Um, and what about being able to continue this uh this battle in terms of funding you mentioned that you got a bunch of GoFundMe uh, donations to the tune of, you know, three, three fifty K dollars, you know, is that ongoing? Are you going to have to raise more to continue this uh, fight? What, what's the status with that? I, that, that money should be able to go right through to the appeals process. So but regardless of what happens with this case that we have in June or July, it'll be appealed. If I win, they'll appeal. If they win, I'll appeal and it'll go to a higher court. It'll just drag out even longer. I should have enough to get through that. And I, I try to act honorably. Like I'm not going to sit here and say, Hey, donate more, give me more and more and more. It's like, I, I'm good on that, but I hope, and I, and I know it will happen that if I get to the point where we need more money for the legal battle, just as everybody entrusted me, back in November when they raised the money for me, I hope they'll continue to entrust me to take this, take this battle and they'll donate more. So if I need it, I'll put out the call. If I don't need it, I won't. Now I'm also considering doing another legal challenge in another province 
So if anybody has a business that, you know, maybe someone who's on the verge of bankruptcy, someone who wants to engage in civil disobedience, like, let's do it. Let's make a show of it. And then we'll get that international attention and we can raise a bunch more money and do another challenge in another province. If, if anybody wants to do that, I'll fly over to you and let's, let's fucking get her done. Cause we can, we can do the same thing. Just all, all I need is, I don't know, somebody to like sell me your business for nothing. Cause you're about to go bankrupt and I'll, and I'll do it in another province. Uh, or if you want to do it and lead the charge, we'll get all the protesters there. We'll make a big scene so that we can, uh, fundraise again like that because once it gets the i'm pretty sure that's why i got so much money is because i took it all the way right like kicked down the door and got dragged out in handcuffs i had a cop telling me if you come back in here i'm arresting you and i went i have to like this is how this ends today so by doing that <laughs> by, by putting it all out there you get the attention and then you get the fundraising afterwards because people love to see it they love to see someone take it all the way you know so I don't know. Did I get off track there with the question? I no, no, that's, per that, that's perfect. That's perfect. Uh, I guess the only last question about the funding is like, do you have any sense of how much this might ultimately cost? Yeah, it's going to. So my legal team gave me an invoice. They said it's going to be 60 to 80 K for them to take this all the way through to the end of the, uh, the, this initial constitutional challenge. Right. And then our legal experts, we have a $40,000 budget for that. So it's going to be somewhere between a hundred and 140, $140,000 for the first one. And then if we go to through to an appeal, you got to do the whole thing again. So it might be like another hundred K. And if there's anything left over at the end of that, we'll, we'll start up a challenge in another province and just do a little bit more fundraising, but we'll just, we'll hit this one first. So I should be able to do everything that I need to do with the 335K because I have a solid legal team. They're not in it for the money. They just want to win. They're not trying to, like the first couple guys are like, keep crowdfunding, keep funding, keep funding. You're going to need more, 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 more because they weren't for the cause. They're just for money, like most of the lawyers. So, yeah. How do you think you get people, you personally, the media stuff you do, the legal case, I guess, to a, a little bit of a lesser degree, but how do you get people to not see you as like some sort of conspiracy theory, don't care about other people monster? And I'm, I'm obviously not saying that's how you come off, but you know, I know how this is constructed in, in the mainstream dynamic today. It's like anyone who goes against the, the main narrative is some kind of heartless monster. And so how do you, how do you, you know, show people that that's not the case at all and that, and that you have, you're fighting for, you know, very important principles here? Well, that, that's the narrative that's carefully constructed by the establishment media. So <laughs> I can give some examples about how crazy the establishment media is. Like, this is the, my, my best example. I, I got to get this out. I do this press conference when we file the constitutional challenge, right? Because my legal team's like, you got to get the message out. So I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do the presser. I invite, I put out an open call, any media come by. So we have a couple independent guys who are for the cause. They show up, they live stream it, they broadcast the whole thing unedited. CTV, CBC, and Global showed up as well. They got all their gear. I got the mics in front of me, the big cameras and everything. They record for half an hour and they didn't report any of it. Not a word. It's like, is this not news? The independent guys between the few of them who put it out, like Rebel and Bright Light News. Actually, Bright Light News on Facebook got like 600,000 views on the interview. So for the people who are like, the news reporters, they just want their page hits, you know, they just want their ad revenue. Well, that one got 600,000 views. That was a good story, right? Like they should have broadcast it. No, not a fucking drop. Even the Toronto Sun, who's not establishment. Oh, because for anybody who doesn't know, 
Uh, Global and CTV get over $500 million a year in, gov- in state funding. So they're state propaganda outlets. CBC gets $2 billion a year. So people who say, oh, that's not a valid source. Bright light news. I haven't heard of that before. It's like, okay, so is the only valid source someone that gets hundreds of million dollars to literally billions of dollars from the state? Like, hello, open your mind up a little bit. That's state propaganda. Like, look, read a history book. So anyway, the media doesn't report on my stuff, but I find that when I do podcasts or interviews or whatever, people get to see me and I'm just, you know, I'm not a grandma killer. I don't have bad intentions. Uh, I think this is kind of the way I get the message out, just having these kind of conversations. And a lot of people send me messages. They're like, oh, I watched your press conference. I I thought that you were this crazy guy because all I knew about you was you getting dragged away in the handcuffs. So I'm not really worried about what the general public thinks about me, I guess, because if they have a conversation with me, they can normally tell I'm an authentic person. I'm not trying to, you know, be somebody that I'm not or whatever. So I, I think that'll come in time. I'm not really worried about restricting myself. And because if you're sitting, if I'm sitting here all day worried about how I come off to people, then I'm not operating in my truth again, right? I'm not in my own strength. I'm, I'm trying to dampen myself to fit everybody else's comfort zone. And frankly, I'm not really interested in that. If I trigger a thousand of your viewers today from my message, it's like, whatever, I don't care. If I <laughs> awoke to one other person to go, you know what, screw it, today I am standing in my own strength and I am going to talk my authentic truth, then well, mission accomplished, we're good. Because that's what, I don't think we're going to see any change until people do this, until they elevate above fear into a higher state of truth and authentic uh, authenticity and once everybody does that if we all just flip that switch today we're out of the problem it's done because nobody can be manipulated anymore because we're all operating out of truth and integrity so all we need is a couple more people to do that and then we shift the narrative i don't think it's going to be by saying oh well i really care about small businesses but i also care about safety so i'm going to wear a diaper on my mouth for my protest today like Nah, because we're not really addressing the root of anything. We're still operating under this pandemic narrative. So frankly, I, yeah, I couldn't really care less what the general public thinks or about how the mainstream media uh, talks about me because anybody who knows the truth knows that those are just state propaganda outlets anyway. And all they do is push a single narrative with a half a truth. I love that. And I, and I think that's part of the reason why you do get pushback from people is because acting in that way is an affront to anybody who's not being authentic in that way. Right. And so, and so that, that triggers that, you know, a part of themselves to, to want to make you conform to the ways in which they've forced themselves to conform out of, as you say, fear of being their, their genuine, authentic self acting with full integrity. I mean, I think a lot of people don't even know what that is anymore because they've 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 shunned it for so long and look like when i was younger you know like you know 15 years ago i went down the various conspiracy rabbit holes and like everything ends up being a conspiracy and then as i went out in the world and i interacted with people and and i worked and i traveled i came far more to the realization that it's you know again maybe experience uh, uh conspiracies exist throughout the world but i i think it's far more incompetence than malice generally speaking and, you know, you talk about the, the, the Canadian media uh, corporations and how much they're funded by the government. And, and you know, of course, I'm sure there's a, there's a dialogue there, to, to put it lightly. But I also think, like, if you're a, a news company, if you're the editor at a newspaper or at a, you know, a nightly news thing, 
And you've spent the last year constructing a particular narrative and putting all the time in there and getting, you know, your uh, setting everything up to get your viewers to expect and a certain thing. It's really difficult to, to turn on a dime, or at least it takes a lot of courage, right? Like updating your perspective when new information comes in, like we as individuals, I think that's a courageous act as individuals to not be beholden to particular perspectives and, and opinions and say, if new information comes in, I'm going to use that and have it and integrate it into my perspective to form the best, most truthful perspective I can possibly create, right? But as these big monolithic organizations that, that have so many people that they're catering to and so many you know, so many other considerations, I think it just comes down to them not wanting to do that. Now, there's many other things uh, there as well. But I, I like, I think that's a big part of it, you know, beyond some, some, you know, grander conspiratorial narrative, you know, perhaps it's both, but I see it so often on the individual level that it makes no wonder that you would see it on an organizational level, which has a far greater inertia about the direction in which it's going, you know? Well, again, like maybe uh, you've had 15 years to marinate on that and find your version of uh, what, of what you think. I'm, I'm honestly pretty new to this. I'm only just diving in, like since March, right? So I'm like, everything's a conspiracy. So, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying from my perspective of where I'm looking, I invite these guys, man, they don't report on any of it, but all the independent guys do. Like, check it out. It's on Rebel News and Bright Light News. And it's like Adam's press conference. It's 27 minutes. I killed it. Like I went in. I you spoke did really kill well. it. I watched it. It was, it was great. I, I was taking notes like right like when they were all there. I was like, shit, I should probably have some talking points. <laughs> <laughs> it, came, it came out awesome. Like my message got out great. A lot of people saw it and loved it. So come on. Come on. 600,000 views on one platform. Another 150 on YouTube. This is a good story. CBC, Global, CTV didn't report on any of it. And even the Toronto Sun, that's not establishment media. Like they don't get subsidies. They never mention the words constitutional challenge because if when that word gets out, then people realize like we were not taught about our constitution here and our charter. This is an important freedom, liberty. These are like concepts that are like foreign to people here in Canada. If that gets out, that message, it's too strong. Like that, I, I really think that there must be some type of establishment media ban on discussing my constitutional challenge because it's a really big story. It is. We're going after the entire Reopening Ontario Act. That's a big story, and we have evidence to back it up and experts. So the fact that that's not reported on only by the outlets that get money from the government, I don't know. Again, I don't have proof. I'm not there with the editor who's going, yeah, you know what? This just isn't newsworthy. Like, so I don't know his motivations, but from my perspective, what other assumption can I make? Yeah, I, well, I hear maybe you. Need to bear on it for a few years. I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe you don't have that luxury, but I hear you, man. And I think the same dynamic plays out in like the right left media divide in the US and people think like, oh, it's a left conspiracy to push this or oh, it's a right conspiracy to push that. But you know, again, I think it's it's largely um, a disposition sort of thing and and kind of what you take for granted. And I think in 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 Canada, uh, people have taken our freedom for granted and the things that were, you know, sacrificed and fought for to get us to a point where we could have, you know, a society with the benefits that we do have imperfect as it may be. Um, and just assume that it doesn't require upkeep, right? It doesn't require 
continuing to try to refine it and challenge it. It's just, it is what it is. We're, we're the, the thing that really amazes me all the time is that people will define freedom around the contours of their restrictions and they won't see the irony of that, right? So it's like people have decided in their mind that they're free. Therefore, anything that happens to them is an example of that, regardless of where it falls on the, let's say, freedom tyranny spectrum. And uh, it's almost like a, 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 like a self-delusion uh, that you just think, well, I am free, so therefore lockdowns cannot be an infringement on my freedom because I'm a because I'm, I'm free person, I live in a free country. So I need to find another rationalization for them that fits that, that, that conception the, you know, in a way that's amenable to me or that works in my, in my framework. And, you know, dissonance, you know, in that I don't want to admit that I live in a world where I am controlled by some external force. So I assume that my baseline living condition is freedom. And then I judge the whole thing from the, from that position. You're right. That's an interesting uh, philosophy. Yeah. And you, you end up rationalizing anything that might challenge uh, your conception of your freedom and integrating it into your idea of your very freedom, which I, again, I, I think is a very dangerous thing to do. And I think there's a lot of examples throughout history where that has gone seriously awry and people need to be a little a, a more aware and cognizant of the pitfalls in, in that. Um, Adam, you've been awesome with your time. I know you, I'm sure you got full days these days. Is there anything else uh, you wanted to cover, say, discuss before we sign off or direct people to or anything like that? Um, well, you, you know, we're, I guess we're like selling these hoodies. If you want to buy a hoodie, we have like some shirts and stuff. It's uh, adamsonbarbecue.myshopify.com. We're doing an update on them soon. So we got like some hats and whatever. Uh, if you're in Toronto, you can buy some barbecue. We deliver all, all over the GTA pretty much. Free home delivery if you order a couple days in advance. Uh, there's no segue in a, in a Bitcoin here. Like I thought we we're on a Bitcoin podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, what do you want? What do you want to know? What do you want to talk about? Are you, uh, are you a Bitcoiner? Uh, you know, back in, uh, in 2018 when it started or no 2017, I actually bought uh, a couple Bitcoin. I thought, Oh, this is really interesting. And I thought this was kind of funny. I, uh, I put uh, for my Christmas bonuses for my staff. I said, you know, instead of giving you money, I'm going to give you 500 bucks of Bitcoin. And man, they all looked at me like I was a maniac. <laughs> I was insane. Like, just give me the money, dude. So I, I thought that was kind of funny because at that point I had like 28 staff maybe. And I think one of them gave, I said, all you got to do, set up a, set up a wallet, give me your Bitcoin address and I'll transfer you 500 bucks of Bitcoin. So to any of those 28 who are still watching, that, that was at seven grand, suckers. That would have been $5,000 <laughs> if you guys had to a, had a set up the, the Bitcoin wallet. And it's, it, it's kind of funny because the same thing happened this year, like in March, when I, I was starting to see the data out of um, uh, Korea that people were dying of COVID. Uh, they had like a, it was like a 10 times risk marker if you had low vitamin D. So everybody's like, Adam, you're going to get Adam's and barbecue mass? I was like, fucking no way i'm never promoting this mask garbage and i i don't wear one uh never got sick neither does anybody in my family and i got everybody vitamin d like i bought tons of vitamin d and i gave them out to all my staff and same thing they're looking at me like i'm a maniac vitamin d this guy's an idiot you really need masks so i thought that was kind of funny when you're on the start of something people look at you like you're nuts but then just like now with this conspiracy stuff or people who think that there's something going on behind the scenes with covid they think you're crazy 
for having that opinion at the beginning. And it's hard to stand in that and like take all the arrows from everybody. I'm sure you've had the same thing happen with, uh, as you got into crypto, like I assume you've been doing this for a while. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been interested in Bitcoin since, uh, since pretty early on when it was just a dollar. Uh, but unfortunately I wasn't, you know, an investor in it at that time. And I've started, I've been talking to people in the space since 2015 and, um, yeah, you know, it's funny, especially right now because it's becoming so mainstream. I mean, the biggest financial institutions and companies in the world are buying it. They're putting it on their balance sheet. Tesla has it on its balance sheet, bank in New York, Mellon, Citigroup, Fidelity. I mean, like it's, and my point there is like, it's not really a, a contrarian thing anymore. Like the, the contrarian thing has, is, is becoming mainstream and there's pros and cons to that for sure. But, you know, by and large, what I think is happening is people are recognizing uh, how special this thing is. And for a variety of reasons, greed, perhaps chief among them, but I think Bitcoin hijacks greed for beneficial purposes because of what Bitcoin emerging means to the world um, are getting in on this thing. And so, and for me, it's, it's, it's Bitcoin only. I know it's a, it's a broad landscape and I'm not sure if we have the time to get into precisely why that is, but just to say that I think what's happening here is a, a monetary revolution. It's the next instantiation of an upgrade in money. And once you really understand uh, the importance of money, what money actually quote unquote means and the implications of the money having been co-opted by central banks and governments all over the world for the last hundred years, you begin to appreciate just how profound uh, an upgrade and profound a change that is. And, you know, the reason, one of the reasons why I wanted to speak with you is a lot of people that come into Bitcoin, and like I said, there's many doorways in, but once you come in and you start to one, take that complete sovereignty over, over your, your finances and your money, right? There's, no, there's nobody intermediating your access to your money, your bank or your, you know, whatever, like it is yours, it's under your custody. And two, there's nobody surreptitiously devaluing it, taking, siphoning off the, the proceeds of your sacrifices for work and time, there's nobody doing that. So it, it's, it's a very, you know, you know, responsibility and sovereignty inducing thing that the more people interact with it, they more, the, the more they start to look out on their own life and on the world and notice where personal responsibility and sovereignty has been abdicated or, or withdrawn. And they start to want to establish more sovereignty and responsibility in many areas of their life. And of course, this applies to politics and, and governance as well. And, and, and people start to look and say, obviously, human beings, if they want to act in a collective and like live near each other, there's going to be some form of governance. But also, uh, in this day and age, it's, it's pretty obvious to a lot of people. And especially and, and I think one of the main causative factors being um, the, the, the type of money that we're all kind of forced to use has created a scenario where governments have far more power than they ought to. They have far more power than, and, and influence than they ought to. And so people in this space are, are, are receptive to uh, the stuff that you're doing because I think they characterize it as someone thinking the same thing and pushing back in, in a, you know, pushing back in the best way that they, they can conceive of or in the way that's most relevant to them. And uh, so, I, you know, I think Bitcoin is a tremendous tool for uh, creating a system that's fair for everybody 
and where the imbalances of power where they exist, be they government and people or corporation and people and, and those sorts of things, basically the imbalances created by you know, the quote-unquote paper currency system are uh, dramatically reduced or mitigated and in some cases eliminated. And um, so there's a very strong vein of, of freedom, independence, sovereignty, fairness, peace, prosperity that runs through Bitcoin. Uh, and that's why you know, I wanted to have the conversation with you today. And I'm, I love to hear that you gave your staff uh, Bitcoin in 2017. Um, you know, I think anybody for whom these topics are important to them or interesting to them, as well as many others of just improving your life. I mean, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you, you had some psilocybin mushrooms and that changed your perspective and that, that, that influenced, you know, who you are in perhaps a profound way. And one, that's not an uncommon story, and that's becoming non-countercultural again. I mean, the emergence of the, the responsible uh, use of psychedelics is being studied at Johns Hopkins and New York University and all these places, and it's, it's going to emerge as a therapy, and that's great for both sick people, quote-unquote sick people, and healthy people. But another really interesting aspect of this, which I won't, you know, I won't delve too much into, but Bitcoin is, is, it seems to have an effect on people in a profound way as well, beyond their financial security, but it starts to get people to change, right? It, they, they end up treating their health better. They end up focusing more on the important relationships in their life. They end up, you know, thinking longer term, planning for the future more, you know, and, and these, are, these are really profound changes that aren't instigated by many other things that we encounter in our life. So uh, all that is just to say, Man, uh, if you want to learn more about it, you know you can hit me up. I can send you resources. If you want, you know, I support you uh, continuing on your journey down the proverbial rabbit hole. And uh, you know, I you know I think it, it's a really good alignment with a lot of the stuff you seem to be about. Yeah, for sure. I'll definitely hit you up on that. I, I I'd love to get that involved with you know my my pre-order website to be able to start accepting Bitcoin on there and just move away from these currency models that seem to be. Uh, we're watching it unfold. How much have they printed already in, in Canada this year? They've created a trillion dollars of debt. And I, by having that perspective now that I, that I know about Bitcoin, and people are telling me, oh, Bitcoin is really going up right now. And I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> Our currency is going down, and we're watching that in reflection. So people, what, what you said about people expanding their mindset through Bitcoin, I get that now, because I thought money, currency was just like dollar, like but it's not, it's just a store of wealth and, and moving it around through all these different things. It's not just currency in the sense that we've been taught about. So yeah, my, my understanding of this is very, very limited, but I'll definitely hit you up for some more. Cause you know, I have, I panic sold on the, on the way up uh, some of my Bitcoin a couple months ago, like <laughs> stupid. Uh, but yeah, I'll definitely, uh, I'll reach out to you, man, for, to get a further perspective on that. Cause I think it's really important. I'll definitely integrate it with my business too. Yeah, well, I, I think it's it's way up your alley, and I'll just say this as you know, a final uh, parting note to you and and you know maybe some of your uh, you know followers that are listening is that the, the the pitfalls are many when you're entering into this new domain of money and the, the the kind of new world that opens up as a result of it. So there's a couple principles that you know exist to help you to help guide you along your way to avoid some of them, and that is buy regularly. So just take a portion of your savings and put it into Bitcoin. Think for the long term, 15, 20 plus years, never sell ever. Doesn't matter if the price tanks, doesn't matter if it goes to the moon. 
just, you know, have that long, super long-term mindset about it um, and take custody of it, secure it, make sure you are the one in control of it. And if you do those things, so Bitcoin only, regular saving, uh, never sell it and take custody, um, then I think that's the way to derive the most benefits from it, both from a perspective of your own individual development and from the perspective of, of course, increasing your optionality for the future through greater financial uh, security and sovereignty. And that's what this is, you know, all about. And so I think that's the, if I had any advice to give that, that would, that would be it. Well, I'd have to say if I had taken that advice six months ago, I would have been like at least a hundred thousand dollars rich. <laughs> and, uh, I wouldn't have half my money tied up in uh, CoinSquare with these fuck CoinSquare, by the way, always holding my shit, not letting me take it out. Making how many times have I had to send in a selfie with a holding the piece of paper to let me have my money back? Get it, get it all on my ledger, right? And <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely wish I had heard that a year ago. It would have saved me a lot of uh, trouble and money. So yeah, thanks. And 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 the last point, you know, it's and it's great that. Um, you could integrate it into your business. And I think, you know, a lot of Bitcoiners might hear this and, you know, wish to donate or something. So having that avenue set up for yourself, uh, you know, might be beneficial to your cause. Um, but in line with never selling, it's, it's hard to get Bitcoiners to uh, relinquish their Bitcoin, you know, so the Bitcoin as a transactional currency is not really the primary use right now. It's a long-term store of value. So, and that's where some people get hung up on these other currencies that are cheaper or faster or whatever. So by all means, you know, establish an avenue for people that want to maybe contribute to their cause or interact with your business to do so. But just, you know, uh, make note that this is a very precious thing to most people that understand it. And they're very, there has to be an extremely strong motivation to uh, relinquish it. And uh, I think the further you go down this rabbit hole, you realize that it's not about the fiat currency exchange rate that you might be able to get for your Bitcoin. It's purely about the nominal amount of Bitcoin that you have. So 0 0.01 to 0 0.02 to 0.1 to 0.2, um, the exchange rate will fluctuate. Your, your portion of the entire network will never ever change, uh, assuming it's, it's fully issued supply. And that's a really unique thing. And uh, it takes some time to appreciate that. But um, but yeah, we'll stay in touch and I'll, I'll obviously, there's, there's so many good resources and writers and authors and stuff out there in the space. And, uh, I could definitely send you some stuff that might get your, your, your mind racing about this stuff. And, and, uh, I think you'd enjoy it. So I'm happy to do that once uh, we finish up. Sounds good, man. Thanks. All right. Please do. Adam, this has been super fun, man. I love what you're doing. Uh, I love the courage. I love, uh, the, the, you know, the attitude that you're bringing to this. Uh, and I wish you all the best. I hope it, it goes well and I'll continue to uh, to watch it and perhaps we'll we'll speak again in the future once it's had some time to unfold a little bit. Yeah, man, for sure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to uh, just get this out there a little further. Hopefully there's, you know, one or two guys out there watching today that'll, you know, stand up, take that little extra breath of courage and uh, and, and do something uh, to help shift this a little bit more today. So yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate I it. I love it. And I think that's going to happen, man. So uh, yeah, all the best, brother. All right, man. Take it easy. Thank you. See ya.